Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. So before I was born, my parents decided uh, not to know if I was a girl or a boy. Yes, I think that technology was available, but my mom said she didn't want to know. They wanted to be surprised. So they had, therefore, two names picked out. Right. One, if I was a boy and the other, if I was a girl. Now, what do you think the boy's name was that they picked out? Tony. That's right. No. (laughs) Bunch of jokers in here. Yeah. Uh, So spoiler alert, they chose David if I was a boy. Now, if I turned out to be a girl, do you know what name they picked out? Also starts with a D. That's a hint. Davida. Come on. (laughs) Actually, there is a Davida that that comes here sometimes. Deborah. Yes, Deborah. Yeah, Deborah. Deborah was going to be my name if I was a girl. Uh, And I ended up being an only child. But every once in a while, my parents and I would joke about my imaginary sister, right, Deborah, and how she was so much, you know, more better behaved than I was. Why can't you be more like your sister, Deborah? Right? You know, and uh, it kind of gave me a complex because I was like, oh, man, maybe I should be, you know. Um, My mom even got a Mother's Day card from from Deborah one year, actually. But spoiler alert, it was it was really me. I I did it. It was a joke. Um, But I made jokes uh, about me in the card comparing us. And I kind of uh, put down, you know, that David didn't get you a Mother's Day card. But I, Deborah, did, you know, like, look at him. Um, and I guess it was a long form joke with my parents that came about because I'm an only child. So I was always interested in, uh, sibling relationships and, uh, and sibling rivalries and things like that. So uh, I always ask people about that as well. You know, people that have sibling, you know, brothers and sisters, what, what that's like for them, you know, uh, just, just cause it's, it's interesting to me, of course, brother against brother is, uh, all over. The book of Genesis, and it's, you know, frankly, all over our lives as well, unfortunately. And I think it starts with comparisons. As humans, we, when we try to understand something, it's kind of natural to compare things and compare people in order to make sense of this world. But it often leads us to compare ourselves and our talents and our gifts and our resources to what our brother has or what our sister has. So the question is, do we dare to compare? Because when we dare to compare, we say, that's not, you got it. That's not fair. Now, just to give proper credit, and uh, I want to share that I got a lot of ideas uh, from a book by Rabbi Russ Resnick, Uh, A Life of Favor, a family therapist examines the story of Joseph and his brothers. How many of you know uh, Rabbi Russ Resnick? He's come to share with us. Yeah. So this is his book. 
And uh, I just wanted to share that with you if that's what it looks like, if you're interested in getting it. It's very interesting. Um, and I'm not just sharing that. Uh, I borrowed from a lot of ideas from this book because he might be on the call. I would have done that anyway because I, I cite my sources. Okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it deals with the, the issue of favor in the life of Joseph, and uh, which poses some real-life issues as well. When we dare to compare... What happens? We notice that life's not fair. So how does the Bible deal with the issue of favor or chosenness, specifically in Joseph's life? And what can we learn from this? Genesis 37, uh, verse 3, the beginning of, near the beginning of the story, tells us this. Now Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he was the son of his old age. So he made him a long-sleeved tunic. Uh, Joseph was also uh, the the son of his favorite wife, uh, Rachel, right? And he he had two sons by by Rachel, um, Benjamin and Joseph. And Benjamin was younger, and Benjamin actually uh, was the last son because uh, Rachel died in childbirth, giving giving birth to Benjamin. So he so he loved Joseph um, because of that, and uh, because he favored Rachel, he also favored Joseph. So the symbol of Joseph's favor is what? What's the symbol that he gets? He gets a beautiful coat, right? That his father gives him, right? And his brothers, of course, are like, well, uh, what about me, right? Why does he get the fancy coat? Have you ever said something like that? As I mentioned, we ask the same questions. Why is it that so-and-so is good at that? And for me, it's a real struggle. It's not fair. Why did uh, Fulano de Tal get that opportunity and not me? right? Social media kind of ramps this up. Have you ever noticed that? You see it like a window into folks' lives and they're off on vacation somewhere, somewhere exotic, and we're not. And we're like, ugh, you know, that's not fair. And Joseph basically does that. I, I think, uh, I'm not sure about this. I think they may have had social media back then. And uh, I remember reading a midrash where he was like, selfie with dad's uh, special coat. Hashtag favorite, you know, something like that. He probably made the duck face, you know, you know how they do. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's not the picture that we see is not always accurate, right? You know, you don't know what else is going on in their lives. They're, they're presenting that. So, you know, it comparing ourselves to that image, you know, it's like comparing yourself to an image in a magazine that's been retouched or something like that. It's just not, it's not, not the way to go. Joseph receives the coat from his father, Jacob. Jacob's experience of, of favor is what? He had to fight for it. Remember, he was a scrapper. He had to lie for it, right? Because his father favored Esau and his mother favored him. So the idea in Jacob's head is what? Favor is scarce. There's not enough to go around. And this scarcity mindset gets embedded in the next generation. It gets passed on to Jacob's sons because he doesn't deal with it. It's good for us to reflect and process the mindsets that we get from our parents and to discern how healthy they are, right? And to be mindful also of what we're passing on to our children, the mindsets that we think about. Like Joseph, however, we can bring healing and forgiveness to wounded family dynamics. But first, the first step is what we have to do is be aware, 
be aware of our own thinking and what we receive from our parents. So one way to grow in this awareness is by journaling. Sometimes I'll pray with a journal and I find it gives me some clarity on my emotions and thoughts. And you can write down what you're processing and, uh, and also try to discern the, the voice of the Lord because the Lord speaks to us um, as well. How many of you have, have done some journaling here and there? Have you found it helpful? Yeah, so that's good. Um, and another way to grow in awareness is by processing with a mentor or a counselor or, or your spouse or, or a good friend or something like that. And they can often give wisdom into you know, your family dynamics. This may be why you're, why you're feeling this way. And so Joseph responds to this favor initially with some insensitivity, right? He's kind of out there, you know, with the hashtags. So uh, this is from, uh, this is a few verses later in Genesis 37. Then Joseph dreamed a dream and told his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream I dreamed. Uh, There we were, binding sheaves in the middle of the field, and all of a sudden my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Will you truly be a king over us? His brothers said to him, will you really rule over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his words. This is similar to when we flaunt our blessings from God. You know, we share signs of God's favor, but uh, it's not for the purpose of glorifying God. It's for the purpose of elevating ourselves. And we can also take pieces of our calling as favor and elevate them before others, right? Uh, if if it's Jewish calling or our, our job, our vocation, even our, our favor as children of God through Messiah, just the fact that we're in the body of Messiah, sometimes we elevate that. And uh, sometimes uh, us folks that are religious can have a, a sense of religious pride, right? Oh, we're we're chosen, right? Which can lead uh, it can leave a bad impression to those who are outside of our community. It's a it's a religious pride. It's not good. And if our goal is to show the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel in a Jewish context to the wider community, then flaunting our chosenness can get in the way of that. So we have to we have to just be aware of that. During during our Hanukkah party, I gave a brief drosh on kingship, noting how in the beginning we were made to be kings, right? But what kind of kings? We're kings over the animals, kings over creation, kings over the animal nature, right? Remember Cain was uh, supposed to rule over that sin, that sin nature. But we weren't made to be kings over other humans. He didn't make us that way. That's not, that's not in the job description. And Joseph, he shares his favor, his, uh, his dream in a kind of thoughtless way, thus implying his eventual authority and power over his brothers. He's not being sensitive to how that might make them feel. And we can, we can do that too. We can get puffed up in our position, right? Maybe we're somebody's boss or someone's mentor, right? Or we can, or the reverse is we can be intimidated by those who have authority over us and we can compare, right? And and, all I wish I had that kind of power, right? So that's, it's that jockeying for power that we see in, in the Genesis story that we need to learn from. So the brothers end up throwing Joseph in a pit and selling him into slavery, but Joseph's favor continues to follow him even into the trials, right? It's, it's really unique how 
and amazing how God's sovereignty and God's favor and God's calling on Joseph continues to follow him, even though he did make some mistakes when he was younger, but it doesn't, doesn't throw off God's plan. So uh, this is describing his favor with Potiphar, this, his first stop in, uh, in uh, being sold into slavery. Uh, this is in Genesis 39. But Adonai was with Joseph, so he became a successful man in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that Adonai was with him and that Adonai made everything he set his hand to successful. Joseph found favor in his eyes, so he served him as a personal servant, and he made him an overseer over his household. Everything that was his, he entrusted into his hand. From the time that he made him an overseer in his house and over everything that belonged to him, Adonai blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. Adonai's blessing was on everything that belonged on him to him in the field, in the house and in the field. So he released everything he owned into Joseph's hand with him in charge. He did not think about anything except the food he ate. Wow. Right. That's the favor. Joseph also has a similar experience in the dungeon after this and will again in Pharaoh's court. But in all these cases, we see Joseph responding to his favor a little bit differently than he did as a youth. And here, uh, Rabbi Russ points out the pattern. So I'm just going to quote from the book. Quote, Joseph begins at zero is one thing. He is a nameless and faceless slave. In both cases, the Lord was with Joseph in a way that is undeniable to his Egyptian masters. That's when he's with Potiphar. And then again, when he's in the, in the dungeon. Uh, in both cases, the master looks positively upon Joseph because of this. Uh, quote, the Lord gave him favor in the eyes of the ruler of the prison. Both masters, Potiphar and the chief jailer, soon turn everything over to Joseph. In both cases, the Lord gives Joseph great success. Spoiler alert, this is still Rabbi Russ talking. Uh, those familiar with Joseph's story know he will end up in the same position in Pharaoh's court, the number two man who is so invested in the master's interests and so capable that the master can entrust everything to him and sit back to enjoy the results. When Joseph was a teenager, he had begun to take a similar role in his father's house. Joseph is the perfect number two man any father, court official, or king would want by his side. His readiness to fully commit himself to the interests of his superior is evident in scene after scene of his saga, unquote. What Rabbi Russ points out here is that favor isn't just about things coming easily to some people and not others, but favor is about gardening our strengths to serve. Gardening our strengths is the theme of, of our synagogue this year, and I see it a lot in this, in this week's Parsha. Joseph was naturally loyal and helpful and available. Remember uh, 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 Eitan Shishkov came, and how did he encourage us to walk in our strengths? He said, be available right? And that's what we see Joseph doing, right? Just be available. Uh, after his teenage years of flaunting his favor, he matures and he puts it into practice. He just starts walking it out, right? He walks the walk, he puts the work in, and he shows his character. He doesn't tell about his kingship, tell about his character. He just serves and shows it. Um, our, our congregation, I think, is actually full of folks like this. And as I was writing this sermon, I thought of many faces, many of your faces out there that, uh, that pour out chesed, pour out loyal love so willingly. And this was uh, especially evident to me during my Shabbatical uh, when I was uh, off 
duty. And I saw folks stepping up and helping. It was really beautiful. Joseph's favor enables him to play his role, to do what only he can do, right? He's the ideal number two man because he's faithful and he's loyal. God made Joseph that way, and he made all of us unique. He made all of us unique with a unique calling, right? With a unique role to play. And now we come to this week's Parsha, which is the dramatic climax of the Joseph story. He has ended up as Pharaoh's number two, and his brothers have come to him seeking food because of the severe famine. They don't recognize him, the brother they betrayed, but he recognizes them. So he gives his brothers a chance to prove their character and to do full repentance. He keeps one of his brothers, Simeon, in prison and tells the rest to bring Benjamin, the youngest brother. Remember, Benjamin is the only other son of Rachel, Jacob's favored wife, who died giving birth to Benjamin. So he's Joseph's only full brother. Jacob, back home, the father, doesn't want the brothers to go back to Egypt with Benjamin, right? He doesn't want to potentially lose Benjamin because he already lost Joseph, or so he thought. This is despite the fact, have you ever noticed this? That one of his sons, Simeon, is in an Egyptian prison. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to care about him, right? <laughs> well, uh, we'll just suffer the famine for a little while longer, even though, you know, I don't, I don't know. But apparently that's not a good enough reason to send everyone back just for Simeon. But uh, Jacob is just worried about the new favorite son. So it shows us that the favor that was on Joseph is now transferred to Benjamin right? Which sets us up, right? How are the brothers going to treat Benjamin now? Because he is the new favorite, obviously, not only to, to Jacob, but also to Joseph. But eventually what happens? Hunger wins out and the brothers go back and they return. And it's clear that Benjamin now has the position of favor with Jacob and with Joseph. How do we know that? Well, Joseph gives him five times more food, right? So they see him. Oh, now this Benjamin is getting favor with this, some Egyptian guy, right? Which is really their brother. So how are they going to treat Benjamin now? How are they going to react? And then Benjamin is framed for stealing a cup. And so Judah, one of his brothers, representing all of the brothers, steps in. And the Parsha is named Vayigash for the first significant word in the passage. That's how all the Parshas are. And it means, and he drew near. So it refers to Judah's final speech to Joseph. So the Parsha starts out with, and he drew close. That's what Judah chose to do. He chose to make a move toward, toward Joseph. And uh, so, and this drawing near is actually a theme, one of the themes of the whole dramatic climax. So uh, this is what it says. Um, Judah draws near to Joseph and appeals to him. Now, if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy isn't with us, since his life is, since his life is bound uh, to his life, when he sees that the boy is no more, he'll die. Then your servant will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in grief. For your servant became pledged for the boy with my father, saying, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before my father all my days. So now please let your servant remain as my Lord's slave in the boy's place and let the boy go up with his brothers. For how can I go up to my father and the boy is not with me? Else I must see the evil that would come upon my father. So Judah is saying, take me instead of Benjamin. I'll be, I'll be your slave and let him go free. 
Now Joseph could no longer restrain himself in front of all those who were standing by him. So he cried out, get everyone away from me. So no one stood with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, but he gave his voice to weeping so that the Egyptians heard and Pharaoh's household heard. Joseph said to his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. So they came near. That's Vayigash again, right? I'm Joseph, Ani Yosef, your brother, the one you sold to Egypt, he said. So now don't be grieved and don't be angry in your own eyes that you sold me here, since it was for preserving life that God sent me here before you. I love that. I love that last line. Don't be grieved and don't be angry in your own eyes. Don't be mad at yourself, right? The brothers used to compare themselves to him and it got them in a horrible mess because they lied to their father and uh, led to betrayal, led to jealousy. But the way to move away from comparing is not by turning against yourself, right? For doing it. Joseph is, he's really counseling them to receive full forgiveness without shame, full forgiveness without shame. And so Judah draws near, he offers his life for Benjamin's and Joseph invites the brothers near so they draw even, even closer and reveals his identity. Comparison breeds distance. His brothers couldn't stand to be even around him when they were younger, right? But once they've changed their hearts and then and matured, right, then they can again be close. Once they're not comparing themselves, once they understand uh, the, the true nature of favor and how it works in God's, in God's kingdom. Right, then they can be close. Uh, they've turned away from comparing and jealousy and power grabbing. And what have they turned toward? Self-giving sacrifice. Right? Self-giving sacrifice. That's what Judah does. That's what Messiah Yeshua did for us. And that's what we do when we take up our cross, right? Daily. Right? Because it's not about building up our kingdom, it's about him. Back when uh, I was a new high school Spanish teacher in Mississippi, I would often compare myself to my colleagues. I was uh, trying to figure out what I was going to teach the next day. You know, I was just <laughs> just trying to figure it out. And I had a friend, Katie, who was the exact opposite. When I asked what she was working on, she was like, oh, yeah, this is a worksheet for, you know, two months from now. And I would be like, ah, how do you do that? That's probably why I don't have as much hair as I used to. Right. She was extremely organized and extremely professional. She was at very short and petite. And she taught high schoolers that, you know, kind of towered over her. But she had their respect because uh, that was just uh, her gift. And often I would get down on myself because I was not as organized, or I had a harder time building respect, maintaining respect in the classroom. Uh, when I moved back to Richmond and untaught elementary school Spanish, I would get into similar spaces in my mind. Probably about once a month, a student would try to call me by my first name, if you can imagine that, instead of Senor Wine. Of course, I would always correct them, but it made me really question, you know, why is this happening? Why, why am I experiencing this? Uh, first of all, I never would have dreamt of doing that to one of my elementary school teachers, um, but it's just a different age, I guess. And second of all, none of my colleagues ever had that happen to them, right? And so the essential problem here was comparison. I was able to 
relate to the high schoolers in Mississippi and the elementary students here in a deeper relational way. Kids are going to test boundaries. It's going to happen. And because I was funny and expressive and positive in the classroom, what happened? They were comfortable around me. Yes, I did have to establish respect and make adjustments, but comparing myself to my colleagues wasn't the way to do it because God had made God had made me that way, right? And so, yes, I did have to make adjustments and I had to learn and I and it was harder for me to establish respect than for those, but there were things that were easier for me, right? And I needed to, I needed to see how God had gifted me and favored me with my my own strengths, right? And appreciate that. Uh, the same thing happened to me when I was preparing to be ordained as a rabbi last year. It was like, you know, I'd worked for, for 13 years, gone to seminary, but I still felt inadequate, right? Because I was comparing myself. What about the rabbi down the street, right? I'm sure I don't know as much Talmud and as much uh, Jewish tradition as he does, but uh, a couple of ideas comforted me. Number one, I might not know the Talmud as much as the rabbi down the street, but uh, I bet I know the New Testament a little bit better. <laughs> and, uh, and that contains the gospel. So really, my priorities are just different because <laughs> I'm a Messianic Jew, right? And number two, we're all learning. Just because I'm not taking seminary classes anymore doesn't mean, you know, oh, now I've arrived. No, we're, we're all still learning. I'm still learning about the scripture. I'm still learning about Judaism and tradition and the Talmud and all of those things. But I don't have to keep up with the rabbi down the street. I just have to pursue learning according to my own calling, what God has asked me to do, right? And uh, number three, I can accept and appreciate the strengths of others, right? I learned to appreciate how Katie was so organized because instead of being jealous, because then I could learn from her. How did you, how did you do that? How are you able to plan so well? Because we all have different strengths. If we were all good at the same thing, and all had the same kind of favor, there would be gaps in the reparation of the world. And God can't have that, right? So that's why he made us uniquely. So let's not dare to compare and say, that's not fair. Let's not turn against ourselves, but rather do self-care. Let's journal and seek counsel so we can be aware. Let's accept our strengths and be grateful for our share. We are made uniquely by the Lord, whose favor means he does care. Let's draw near to those relationships that we need to repair. And I think at this time, we should close in prayer. <laughs> Avinu, our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us and your goodness. Thank you that you do have favor on us and uh, you have favor on us uniquely and you love us uniquely. You love us as you made us, Lord. And you didn't make us like the person next door or the, the guy down the street. You made us with a purpose, Lord. And you didn't give us all the gifts and you didn't give us all the talents and you didn't give us all the things because you wanted us to work together. Help us not to compare, but rather to repair those relationships and help us to, uh, to be grateful and thankful uh, for how you made us, 
Lord, and not to get down on ourselves when we, when we miss it, Lord, but continue to pursue you um, because of your love. It says in the scripture that it's your kindness that leads us to teshuva, to turning to repentance. It's your kindness, your goodness that leads us to want to follow you and turn away from those things that are not pleasing to you, Lord. So help us to see ourselves as you see us and to, to move forward in, uh, in this new year um, with a, a godly confidence and, and also humility. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.